folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here along with Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. What's up, Eric? I'm doing all right, man. What's going on? Oh, man, everything. I was just thinking about the 4-0 Packers and how bad the Falcons are and how they should also fire their coach and the real possibility that the Vikings could be the team that gets a couple of coaches fired, right? They already got Bill O'Brien fired, and Atlanta is on the upcoming schedule here very soon on October 18th. And if the Atlanta Falcons go to 0-6 with a loss to a not-great Minnesota Vikings team, we could be talking about two coaches getting fired via the Minnesota Vikings. That's what's on my mind this morning. Hey, well, yeah, Grim Reaper stuff. I love it. I mean, you guys also have a couple games left against the Lions. I mean, the Jaguars are on the schedule, I believe. So there's infinite potential for some, <laughs> some real Vikings-themed uh, hackings here as we approach uh, Halloween and such. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's a nice tie-in. So yep. the, the reason I wanted to have you on, aside from just uh, fun football chatter, right. is that you covered the NFL draft very well and very closely, and right. Justin Jefferson is awesome at football, Eric. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed this. But he is Pro Football Focus's number one ranked wide receiver in the whole NFL wow. through four weeks. And uh, I think that we expected after watching him in training camp and after the numbers that he put up at LSU that he would not be Laquan Treadwell. But I don't think anybody wrote in number one wide receiver by PFF in the NFL after four weeks. So tell me your thoughts on the emergence of Justin Jefferson. Yeah, and I think, you know, seeing him in, in kind of a part-time role, I believe, in in week one and, you know, still not out there for, for the, the majority of the snaps or, or for all the snaps anyway, it was it was kind of a wait-and-see thing. But obviously since then, the number of, you know, plays and big plays he's made, I mean, that's that's really been, I think, part of the story is, you know, getting downfield and, and, and getting those chunk plays has been a big part of who he was. And, 
you know, last year at LSU, and, and was that going to happen this year? You know, I think there was at least a tiny bit of doubt when he was sort of running third or whatever, but, you know, now it's clear that they've got something pretty special on their hands. And, you know, just his ascension over the last couple of years has been really impressive because I, I don't know that I saw this kind of prospect in, in 2019 – or, sorry, in 2018, rather, before they – they really busted out as a, as a great offensive team at LSU, but you know you, you saw the reliability factor, uh, just the fact that he was able to haul in such a high percentage of the balls that were thrown his way at LSU. You felt good about his his floor at the very least, and I thought maybe his ceiling was was uh, maybe slept on a little bit too. I'm always thinking about what someone who goes bust or succeeds tells us just about the process and what we can learn about it. And with Justin Jefferson, it's interesting because he played so much in the slot at LSU, which we all talked about and Gary Kubiak talked about trying to put him in places where he was comfortable. And in the first two weeks, he took 90% of his snaps were in the slot. And then week three, they basically just threw up their hands and said, you know what, figure it out. Go play outside wide receiver. I don't care if you have done it since 2018 just go do it and then he was marvelous at doing it and I wonder if that tells us a little bit about pigeonholing guys based on what their roles were in college because in college he's playing with Jamar Chase so Jamar Chase is going to get the outside and maybe just the way that their offense was designed someone who is so good with the ball in their hands and yards after catch like Justin Jefferson, made sense for shorter passes to make things easier on their offense. But he seems to be able to do all the things, like get off the line of scrimmage, understand how deep crossing routes work, where his reads are supposed to be, and then make contested catches like he did twice down the field. I I, I wonder if, like, how we factor what someone's role was in college compared to what it will be in the NFL. Yeah, and this is, I think, where, you know, area scouts can really provide a lot of value where you, you, you say to yourself, okay, he's been predominantly in the slot in 2019. They played him outside some in 2018, as you mentioned. Is this what's what was best for LSU, or is this what was best for Jefferson? And, and I really think it was probably more the former in the sense that, you know, as you pointed out, they had Terrace Marshall, they had Jamar Chase, you know, Marshall looks like a great prospect as well. You know, was it just that they felt that those are the best positions for their particular team and that Jefferson was so good on those slants last year and so good at, at, at kind of finding space, you know, when not facing press coverage? You know, was that really the story with what was hand, at hand? So I think it's the job of the area scouts to figure out, you know, is this what's best for the team? And thus, that's why he was playing, I wouldn't say out of position, right? He's great at the slot. But, you know, you have to determine, you know, whether this is something that speaks more about Jefferson or more about the role in, in the offense he was in. And I think it's probably, you know, pretty clear that, you know, just their wealth at receiver and what they had was was more indicative of that, I think. I wonder what you think about the college production and how it's transferred over to the NFL because he was the most productive wide receiver in college football. I mean, 111 catches 
completely yep. dominant on the best team, but he also has the number one overall draft pick quarterback. And I think Joe Burrow has looked really good considering what he's working with for an offensive line in Cincinnati. And I don't think there were any doubts that Burrow was a tremendous, tremendous quarterback that would be pretty darn helpful as well to have that. And we've gone through this with you know, even someone like Laquan Treadwell, whose final year in college, I mean, he put up huge numbers in an offense that was highly, highly productive. But then when he gets to the NFL, it just didn't translate a lot. And I guess I, I'm juxtaposing those in my mind of, all right, what did they miss on Treadwell versus what they got right with Jefferson? And I think the combination of the production with the combine scores and the fact that he could play multiple spots if you needed him to, kind of speaks to this is what you're looking for as close as you can get to a guarantee in a draft where, you know, nothing is ever guaranteed. Right. And, and, you know, and it was a deep receiver class. So, I mean, I think teams were, you know, parsing these guys and saying, do we want a specialist? Do we want a multitasker? Do we want, you know, somebody with the higher upside and and kind of the the slower development or something like that? What what Jefferson provided was an interesting uh, kind of mix of, of all those things. I think he, you know, even though he primarily played inside last year, I think there was a pretty good feeling that after he tested as well as he did at the combine, you know, as you pointed out, the 10 yard split was good. The 40 yard dash was good. The vertical jump and broad jump were all very good to excellent kind of thing. You know, you saw those contested catches too, and and a little bit more versatility to his game. You know, did did the lean frame bother some people? Yeah. Did it, did the fact that he really didn't face press coverage concern some people as far as getting off the line? Yes. But, you know, for all of Laquan Treadwell's questions, I mean, you know, the one thing that came in to play was I think that the, the Vikings kind of felt like, yeah, he works hard, but he works hard at his strengths. And he sort of has this, this poor focus about improving his weaknesses and, you know, expanding his his uh, bag of tricks, so to speak. And whereas Jefferson has been this late bloomer, you know, he even despite the fact that he has this family full of athletes, he sort of came into the you know came into LSU as a a real big underdog. I mean, he was a two star prospect. He wasn't highly thought of in a lot of ways. So I, I feel like he's been able to kind of you know focus on what he doesn't do well and really improve in that area. Whereas some guys sort of have. The, the work ethic, but it, it isn't focused on what they need to improve on most, and that, that, that kind of screamed Treadwell to me. There was a little issue with Treadwell and just, like, living in the same reality as the rest of us, too, where after 2018 he said he still believes he's a 100-catch wide receiver in the NFL, and yep. we're like, I'm not sure that you belong in the NFL, much less a 100-catch wide receiver. And when the head yeah. coach calls you out at the combine for, like you said, working on the wrong things, you would think that would snap into working on the right things, but he was still doing the same stuff. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I remember Zimmer saying something like, you know, you don't need to run stadium steps or work on the jugs <laughs> machine four hours after practice. Like that doesn't really do anything for you when you're not running the right routes. So, <laughs> I mean, yep. yeah, there, I think there's a difference too. And I, I don't know how you feel about this. When a guy is a two-star recruit, and he's coming into college, and maybe he doesn't even get a chance at LSU if not for his brothers there having for him, and then overcomes that to be a first-round prospect, that always catches my eye because I think about when guys aren't the right size, but they can still be a first-round prospect um, or, you know, the Russell Wilson, uh, a fir- like an NFL-caliber prospect at five foot ten 
to me says, let, let me look a little closer here because if you can overcome that, a lot of times when you get to the NFL, there are things that you're able to overcome when you get to the NFL. I know that's not a perfect model. I'm sure there are some examples otherwise, but if you come in and have to beat out and compete and, and improve and improve and improve in college as opposed to, hey, it's all handed to you as a five-star recruit, I'm always a little more interested. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's absolutely something to that. I mean, it's not as if, you know, he, he was handed any kind of job. You're right, absolutely right about the fact that, you know, he he had much more talented players ahead of him on the roster, I think, when he, when he came into the, the, the program um, and wasn't just skating by at his reputation. He has sort of an underdog mentality about him, which I do appreciate. And yeah, I think that, that does kind of carry some, some weight when it comes to this is not somebody who just sort of lived on his laurels. There are plenty of five-star prospects who, you know, believe their value is much higher than it is. And, yeah, I think with Jefferson, you know, he proved his worth. Like, everybody saw that LSU had a great offense last year and was explosive. And, you know, you could stick anybody in there and they'd be great. But, you know, Joe Burrow, clearly there was a trust factor with Jefferson when it came to the clutch have to have it situations, right? I mean, I think that was really the biggest thing was that, you know, when it was third and six, you knew that ball was going to come to Jordan Jeff. I mean, Justin Jefferson rather. And, you know, he, he converted it. I mean, he, he caught 82% of the targets that were thrown his way. Even if some of those were easier throws, the slants and the quick stops and things like that, he still made plays downfield and he still caught an incredible percentage of them. So, there, there was just some savvy to his play and some, some reliability factor that, that couldn't be overlooked. And in the biggest games, he came up enormous, which yeah. I'm, again, always interested in seeing that. Like, this is the Mitch Trubisky thing where he has his bowl game and he plays horrendously. Like, is that is that the guy that you want in the right. bowl game? And I'm not saying that I knew every you know thing about that quarterback class or that every guy who comes up big in the bowl game is going to turn out to be great in the NFL. But it's another box to check of every game in the NFL has an enormous amount of pressure from an entire organization from usually there's fans in the stands, not at the moment, but think about the number of people who are watching. And that's the same thing you're facing against Oklahoma in a bowl game and a a trip to the national championship on the line. I think he had something like 14 catches or something. It was, uh, it was crazy. The performance he put on. So here's what I think of though, as we go through these fact reviewing kind of how we got here, um, he wasn't the first wide receiver drafted. He wasn't even really the second or the third wide receiver drafted. So what happened there? I mean, the Eagles got a guy who had no production in college. Now he's been hurt, so we don't know if he's good. I think that C.D. Lamb is very good. He produced a ton in college. And and Ruggs is a super fast guy. He's been hurt a little bit too. But how do we – what's our early assessment on how Jefferson looks in comparison to the other receivers drafted in the first round? Yeah, I mean, I I understand why a team like the Raiders would be, you know, infatuated with the the raw speed, uh, the home run ability, and and the competitive temperament of Henry Ruggs. I absolutely understand why the Dallas Cowboys felt that at 17, C.D. Lamb was way too good to pass up at that point. You know, I kind of get why why the the Broncos felt like Jerry Judy was the kind of guy that they needed, and you know, he's seen a lot of targets. And other than those those two drops in the opener, I mean, I think he's, 
you know, he's been relatively impressive for the most part. I, I like what I've seen from him that, that contested touchdown the other day. So, you know, other than rugs, and as you mentioned, he's been banged up, you know, I, I kind of understand how the order went. I mean, I think CD Lamb's going to end up being a terrific pro. I don't, I don't have much fear about Jerry Judy being a bust, even unless, mm-hmm. you know, it just gets in his head. Ruggs is the one where, you, you know, where I mentioned before the draft, yeah, I've got him high, but there is a bust quotient to him. Jefferson, to me, was a very safe choice. The one guy that I clearly missed on was Denzel Mims, and it's way too soon to write him off, but I should have had him with a lower grade and Jefferson with a higher grade. I just... I, I relied on some information that I think I probably put too much stock in. So it, it's like a sliding scale, man. It's really hard to, you know, it, de- it depends on the team and where you land and what what traits matter most to you. But, yeah, I think it, it's fair to say that there are some teams that wish they, they would have pulled the trigger on him a little sooner. I want to remind you to go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen it yet, you've got to check it out. A couple of my favorite designs are the Duck Duck Gray Duck and the Randy Moss Goat, which you've got to see. Uh, all their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. We're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. By the way, use Promo code Purple Insider for free shipping. That's SodaStick, S O T A S T I C K dot com. Original Minnesota sports inspired goods. Code Purple Insider for free shipping. I remember Mike Zimmer saying, You really don't know until they're in camp, and then you know. And yep. of course, you're not going to tell anyone on the outside when you know, but you know. And for us as reporters, usually we can tell. I mean, with Jefferson in camp, He's faster than everyone. He moves different than everyone. And they have a Pro Bowl wide receiver on right. the roster. But it had that same sort of Stephon Diggs feel where you're like, this guy just looks on a different plane in terms of how he moves. And if he can transfer that over and know the offense, then he's going to be very good. And that's really all that it took. Now, the rest of the Vikings draft is kind of interesting because I have, I have some questions here for you about Ezra Cleveland and whether we should be pushing draft pick panic button on Ezra Cleveland. Because he goes in the second round. He was considered a fringy first rounder potentially by some people uh, that mocked him all the way up there. He had an incredible NFL combine. He comes to the Vikings and he's not a tackle. Like, from the very beginning, he's not a tackle. He's playing a guard. And we're told, eh, you know, hey, we're just trying him there. But they're not just trying him there. They play him guard the entire training camp. He's on yep. the third team by the end of training camp. He's inactive the first week. And they keep Riley Reef around. And even if they were going to move on from Reef, Rashad Hill was going to play and not Ezra Cleveland. Mm-hmm. They are playing at left guard Dakota Dozier, a journeyman who's never played 400 snaps before, I'm giving you the case to panic about Ezra Cleveland already. Yeah, I mean, I think from a sort of strength perspective, core strength, I mean, the athleticism was obvious, whether you watched the combine or watched his tape, and, you know, you could see the way the guy moved. I mean, you know, I thought it was it was pretty impressive to see him, the way his, his contact balance, too. I mean, you never really saw him get knocked over and things like that. Uh, you know, there were some injury questions there. You could see him kind of get pushed back at times. I didn't really know exactly what to do with him. Um, I didn't love him. I didn't hate him. I knew that there was an athletic profile there that that screened top 75 prospect. 
probably not a first rounder, even though some people were kind of talking about him in that range. Just he didn't look like a first rounder to me, but I was impressed by some of the, the the foot quickness and stuff. But yeah, I was thinking tackle. I mean, that was probably the spot where I thought you 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 make the best use of him. Right tackle, left tackle, well, you figure that part out. He was pretty reliable, even though he played hurt last year as far as, you know, staying in the lineup and stuff. But I think they probably felt like, you know, his, his lack of power or something was something that they just sort of, you know, didn't feel could match up against those big base ends or something. It's hard to really grasp right now. You know the team better than I do, and you understand how they, they project those guys into those positions. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Are we looking at kind of Brian O'Neill part two, or are we looking at, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of another, like a, like a bus, like a Willie Beavers. I don't yeah, know. Willie Beavers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. TJ Clemmings also comes yeah, up. Clemmings, as, yeah. Good example. Yeah. Is Clemmings kind of the, the test case here? I know it's sort of apples to oranges, but I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, the immediate concern, or is there a little bit of a learning curve here? No, I mean, Clemmings is the one that Vikings fans still wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat <laughs> thinking about watching him play. And that's actually, I mean, TJ Clemmings has kind of been like Drew Samia this year, where Samia has played as poor as I've ever seen anyone play on the offensive line through right. the last couple of weeks. But, I mean, that's a that's a fourth-round pick. Clemmings is a fourth-round pick. This is yeah. a second-round pick. And even though they had two firsts, you still thought you were getting potentially your franchise left tackle there for the future. And when he's playing guard throughout the entire training camp and not even active in the first week, that's pretty concerning. And the only reason he's active is because they've had an injury on the offensive line. And so he was bumped up. Uh, the Brian O'Neill thing is interesting because I, I wanted to ask your kind of take on this. The Vikings – use Daniil Hunter every time they draft someone who's tall and lanky and didn't sack anyone in college. And I always think that that process is a little flawed. Like you kind of just got lucky with Daniil Hunter and good for you. I mean, you get to keep him for 10 years and you don't have to apologize for that, but it's right. not really a model to go after other guys. So you draft DJ Wanham because you're like, Oh, he looks like Daniil Hunter. Like, I don't know if it works that way. And with Ezra Cleveland, I think the same thing with Brian O'Neill. Brian O'Neill is kind of a special dude. I mean, he yeah. is very, very tough. He's very, very smart. I mean, he quickly in the NFL showed that he could handle the toughness level of it. And I think that they had this same thing in their mind of like, well, let's draft a guy who's, you know, maybe not that strong, but he's very athletic and we'll let him sit for a little while and then we'll put him right in. And yeah. I, I think that you sort of miss a lot there by saying, oh, it worked for us once before. Let's do it again. Yeah. And, and yet at the same time, I understand why a staff that largely has, you know, been been in place for, for a while now, especially the scouting staff and uh, most of the coaching staff. I know there have been changes, but I mean, you know, you start to see types and you see guys and you say, that guy reminds me of mm -hmm. O'Neill or that guy reminds me of Hunter, or, you know, other guys you drafted. So it's hard not to be attracted to those players that you've had success with. And if you start seeing those sort of similar paths in their careers, well, you know, then you're going to be kind of drawn in to having them a little higher on your board than they might be on other teams' boards. And that's okay. I mean, I've always said that just because, you know, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is great. Would I Do I think he would have the same success on the Chicago Bears with their <laughs> coaching staff? Probably not, even with Matt Nagy. So, you know, there's always examples of players who would be better off in one situation versus another. But 
beyond that, it doesn't mean that every time you see a prospect who reminds you of somebody you've drafted, that they're going to work out exactly the same way. So I, I get it. It's a double-edged sword, right? You want to, you know, you want to go with the things that have led you to success in the past. They're going to be higher on your board than other teams. But at the same time, you have to be realistic about who that player is and what their ceiling is. Let me ask you, uh, when do we decide what we know about young cornerbacks? Because I think this is one of the hardest positions to figure out when you know what they are. So, I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, Holton Hill is in year three, and they thought he could start. And nope, that does not look that way at all. Uh, and uh, I covered Stephon Gilmore when he was drafted in Buffalo. His first three games were hysterically bad. He had no yeah. idea what he was doing. It was awful. And, of course, some of the Buffalo fan base decided at that point he was a bust. He turns out to be a defensive MVP. <laughs> so I yeah. with, with Jeff Gladney and Cameron Dantzler, I'm not even sure I know how to look for what they're going to be this early in their careers. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I, I have not studied either one, you know, as far as their performance so far this season. I know those guys have have played some and, and you know, gotten in the mix, so to speak. Obviously, it seems like Gladnius has played a little bit more than Dantzler at this point, which is interesting. And you can tell me, I mean, it sounded like there was maybe a little bit more buzz on Dantzler coming out of camp as far as his competitiveness and what he was doing. Maybe there's a special teams element to this as well. I really like Gladney coming out. I thought he had a lot of the, you know, the the feistiness you want to see in a corner, uh, just the the competitiveness. Sure, the lack of size is a little concerning, but you know, a nose for the ball. I mean, there was a lot about him that I think was was really exciting. Uh, you know, even though he didn't rack up the interceptions, you saw him constantly knocking passes away, improved steadily throughout his career. I felt too. I mean. You know, he kind of got off to a slow start at TCU with it. I believe he tore his ACL before his freshman year or something like that. And, and each year you can see that the confidence and the, and the performance improve. So he was a, a hard one not to like unless you're just fixated on big corners. Whereas Dantzler was a little bit more, you know, kind of eye, you know, beauty in the eye of the beholder, especially after that, that combine 40. But another hyper-competitive guy, I mean – I, I love the fact that he never backed down from a challenge in the SEC. He told me at the at the combine, he's like, you know, I truthfully got up more when I was playing, you know, like in Alabama than in Arkansas because those are the games where you truly get tested. I, I appreciate that. He didn't really get beat deep, but once or twice last year. So, you know, it's hard not to say that he that he didn't play well, even though he got hurt. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I was there are different types of corners, size wise, obviously. You know, both a little on the lean side, body frame wise, but I can't really speak to what they've done so far uh, this season. Well, Dantzler was hurt for two games, so okay. that's that's probably why his snap count is a little less than okay. uh, Gladney. And and Gladney is in a tough position where because of injuries, he's had to move inside to slot at times, and then uh-huh. also outside, and that's a lot to ask for a young corner. I mean, guys who haven't played the slot before, that's really, really tough, especially yep. in Mike Zimmer's defense. And so this is one of the reasons to kind of be patient with this situation. I liked a lot that I saw from Dantzler in camp. I thought he was one of their best players in training camp overall. And also he comes across, now he's sort of turned on the Mike Zimmer, like I'm not going to say anything to the media mode recently. <laughs> but the first couple of times is kind of someone's real personality before they uh, are told don't say anything to the media 
Uh, and he, he comes across as a guy who's pretty bright. And I think that he gets a lot of the things that Mike Zimmer wants him to do technique-wise and scheme-wise. And that usually is going to translate. It's just that with other corners they've had, Eric, it's taken three years. Mackenzie Alexander struggled for his first two seasons. He could barely get in the first year. And then, uh, you know, Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes took a couple of years of development. And I remember I moved here in 2016 to cover the Vikings. People were telling me, oh, man, Waynes, he's just this big first-round bust. And he turned out to be a, a solid starting NFL corner over the next couple of years. So that's why I was thinking, gosh, you know, I'm trying to take away things from how they play, and you can see the Gladney toughness that you're talking about in the way that he tackles, but I, I don't want to make too much of the good or the bad that I see early on. I think that's fair to say, and, and you, know, we, you know, we've seen it time and time again. This is a position where, like you said, I thought, I thought the Gilmore example was great. You know, if they're asked to do things that are different technique-wise, if they're asked to play different coverages than they've played in college – or move inside when they've primarily been outside or vice versa, that can really mess those dudes up. A lot of these guys are converted wide receivers. You know, they're, they're relatively new to the position. Typically you put your best uh, athletes in high school at quarterback or wide out or whatever. And, you know, so a lot of them are convinced, hey, you would make a great NFL corner. That's what the teams are going to recruit you. So sometimes it's development. They might be in their fourth or fifth year of playing corner. I mean, that you know, not all of these guys are bred from sixth grade to play the position the way they are quarterback. So, yeah, uh, I always like to look at how long have they played the spot. What what were your primary coverages in college? You know, how much press did they ask them to play? Did they get time inside? You know, did they play some time at at, at free safety or whatever? These are the questions that I think can help paint the picture of of what the developmental curve is going to be. Because as you pointed out. Some guys can step in and and play right away and be competitive and and effective. Others, not so much. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesesteak Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are also still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food will be on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of more than $15 when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off, zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. And Gladney uh, played for like three years as a starter. So yes, he did. A lot of experience. Uh, in the Big 12 where it was, you know, throwing the ball every down basically. Right. And with uh, Dantzler, they didn't target him that often, but you could also read that as, well, they didn't target him that often. Like, isn't that yeah. good uh, if they were not doing that? Because the SEC does throw the ball more than it ever has in the past. Uh, I want to know who you were the rightest and the wrongest about in this draft so far. And I'll give you my rightest, and I'm not sure if I've decided yet on my wrongest. Um, <laughs> my my rightest is uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. Because you know why? Because I watched every Antoine Winfield Jr. game here living in Minnesota, and that guy was freaking good at football. 
And when somebody is just a baller and he's got instincts and he's smart and then he runs a four four at the combines, like this this is gonna work. This is gonna yeah. work. And I don't think it's just being like, hey, I watched so much of it, and I think I know. I think that everybody in Minnesota is like, if you saw this guy play, he's unbelievable, and he's yeah. going to be good. So he's my – I'll look at uh, the rest of the draft and see if there was someone that I liked who's been horrible. But uh, how about you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I had Lamb at number nine overall, and it was maybe a tiny bit higher than, than some people had him, and he's obviously played very well. He's only going to get better, I think. I was tough on her. I'm just trying to think of some guys who I was a little bit tougher on than I probably should have been. Um, you know, I I kind of felt like I I did okay so far on the first round picks. I like Jedrick Wills a lot. He's been playing a lot better. Isaiah Simmons, I may have caught fallen into the trap mm. of what we were talking about with cornerbacks. Like, oh, he can do all these things, and that's great. But so far, they have not found a role for Isaiah Simmons where he is a clear upgrade over whoever they have at that position. So he's they're playing him sparingly. You know, Jeremy Chin, the, the Southern Illinois safety, is a, is a clear-cut starter for the Panthers at safety. And Simmons is kind of this sort of linebacker hybrid type, and they don't know exactly what to do with him. So maybe I fell into the trap of versatility is amazing. This The athleticism <laughs> is unquestioned. But some of this does take time to, to kind of steep a little. And so I think that that one I, I may have reached a little on so far. Okay. I, I thought that AJ Epinesa was going to be a first round pick and be amazing. So maybe that's it. Cause the same sort of thing. I watched him annihilate the Gophers and was like, man, that yep. guy, I don't care what he ran at the combine and we'll see. He just hasn't played a whole lot for Buffalo so far, but certainly not a guy who stepped right in and made some sort of gigantic impact. It's also all subject to change in the next four weeks where we could be like, you sure. know, completely feeling different about these guys. But, but I, before the draft, I just wrote down guys that I was sort of really interested in. And of course, like Antoine Winfield Jr. was another one. LaVisca Chenault though, I think has been cool to watch. And yeah. he was another one where I thought, man, like, I really want to see this. Trayvon Diggs has been terrible, but I just don't know if it's him or it's Dallas has no idea what they're doing on defense. Because one thing that I notice is I think that the way everyone plays impacts everyone else on defense. So if you are on a terrible defense that cannot pressure the quarterback, your linebackers and safeties don't know what you're doing. You're going to be hurt by that as a cornerback. And there's been some of that with the Vikings so far, where there's just been these miscommunications and a bunch of new guys playing together in a year where the league isn't calling holding and they're calling a lot of pass interference. Like I think it's been as tough as it's ever been this year for young corners to step in. I agree. And I think, you know, in general, evaluating a player's first year in the NFL comes with a ton of caveats, you know, yeah, a, ton, yeah. a ton of, you know, conditionals like you just laid out of, right. I mean, I, I love to be able to study the, you know, like I'm writing about the Falcons this morning and their defensive struggles. Like I don't think AJ Terrell looks bad so far, but when you're asking a guy to cover for, for six seconds on a play, what can he reasonably do if there's no pass rush? Right. I mean, if, you know, if they can't get off the field and they're out there chasing receivers for a nine-play drive, you know, the, these guys are going to be worn down at the end of those things. So, yeah, I agree. There, there's so many factors to, to weigh into this. And a corner is always going to be a tricky year one position. 
And yet, look at Jalen Johnson for the Bears. I, that kid has played really well. Mm-hmm. I, the Bears are such a weird team, and, and there's not a whole lot to love about them. But to get him at the, what, the 50th pick overall, you know, I mean, I thought that was a, a really nice value based on what I've seen so far. He's been tough. He's been competitive. He stepped right in for a veteran in Prince Amukamara, and I thought played better than Amukamara did last year. And that's a guy that was mocked to the Vikings a lot times. Every single mocker mocked him to the Vikings, and he ended up dropping quite a bit lower. Um, before we wrap up, I, I do want to ask you about the Bears, actually, because you're there in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was going through this list last night, and there was a lot of disagreement. I was trying to decide which teams the Vikings are definitely better than. And I'm looking, I'm looking much more at the version of the Vikings with Justin Jefferson, because they will never play a game in the next decade again without Justin Jefferson as their wide receiver I think so like factor that differently than you did the first two weeks in terms of their offense and Chicago is one of the hardest ones Chicago and Dallas both like Dallas kind of looks like the Vikings with great offense and terrible defense right but the Bears are the exact opposite and I don't know who's playing quarterback week to week but at the same time the Bears defenses have given the Vikings nightmares since Kirk Cousins got here and really the Bears have given the Vikings nightmares over the last like 25 years. So um, what, what is your, what is your sense for like, what's the deal yo with that team? <laughs> oh man. I, I don't know how much time we have. I can either give you <laughs> six words or 6,000 words. And I'm not sure we come up with a, a great, great answer on that. You know, they've committed to the run, but they have, they don't have a rushing touchdown. They, they use their personnel weird, like Cordero Patterson comes in and, and you know, what, what position is he and where does he really factor into this thing? You know, they're throwing fades to Darnell Mooney, who, you know, looks really good as a young wide receiver. But, you know, does the tight end position need to get emphasized more? You know, defensively, they're good, but there's only so much you can ask out of that group after a while. I mean, they're on the field for 35 minutes or 40 minutes sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, obviously the quarterback thing is the biggest issue right now. And, you know, the question I heard people asking here on Monday in the talk radio world around here was, was it Trubisky? Or is it Matt Nagy? You know, is it is, is there something about him where we're, we're either overlooking some kind of weakness he has uh, or, you know, not emphasizing something enough? Or does he just have a ceiling on what he can do? All the fun they had his first year, the play calling hijinks and all that, you know, it's gone. Foles didn't look like a clear upgrade on Sunday against a pretty good Colts defense, so – you know, we're kind of in wait and see mode to find out what this team's going to be over the next three, four weeks to give it the same, you know, sample size as what Trubisky got. But so far, I mean, it's hard to really know what they have. I have a theory about Matt Nagy, and that we'll call it Brad Childress theory. So from talking with my pal Sage Rosenfels a bunch, um, he talks about with Brad Childress that he just thought that his offense – like worked against anyone all the time. So he would just call plays as opposed to like what strengths work for what guys and what weaknesses on the other defense. And I think maybe for a year that might work, but then when everyone figures out exactly what you're going to do, that starts to fall off the face of the earth. Right. And even we saw that with Chip Kelly, when you believe it's my offense and I'll just run it against everybody, no matter what defensive minds in the NFL are just too good. And they're going to figure out exactly what you're doing. And and Gary, this is why Gary Kubiak is great and uh, why he's lasted so long, I think, is that Gary figured out in the first 
two weeks that everybody was kind of on to some of the deep crosser play action stuff. And then last week he added a tweak to it where it looked like it was going to be that same route combination, that classic Kubiak. And then Adam Thielen just turned exactly the other way and was wide open. It's like, there you go, Gary. That's why you're Gary. And that's why Matt Nagy is Matt Nagy. And I, I I don't know if there's any like overcoming that, if that's your mindset that I have the offense that works and I'm going to run it. And that's all there is to it. I seem to remember Steve Spurrier having a similar quote to that when he came into the league. Like, you know, we're just going to throw the ball around and have some fun, right? I can run the fun and gun plays in the NFL. And, uh, yeah, this is not Florida against, uh, you know, Florida Tech or whatever. So, yeah, I do feel like self-scouting is so important and game-specific game plans. And in 2018, you know, there was the Patriots game uh, at Soldier Field that I thought Nagy really had an impressive game plan because – you know, New England was just saying, you're not going to beat man defense. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm going to let Mitch scramble. And Mitch had a great day running the football and really taking advantage of that. And, uh, you know, he used some of those, uh, you know, kind of uh, split zone run plays that were catching the, the the New England defensive linemen, getting them way upfield and really kind of knocking them off their block a little bit. And I thought, this guy gets it, right? He adjusts to what they're doing. But since then, I haven't seen a lot of that. And that worries me a little bit. Okay, now, really, last thing, I promise. You wrote about uh, the quarterbacks, and I think people want to hear about this still. Even though the Vikings got a win, uh, Trey Lance had his one game. That seems fair. Yeah. Uh, Trevor, you know, Trevor Lawrence looks great. We'll see on Justin Fields. He's not played yet. He'll get too soon. Um, but you've got some other guys here, and I think that Vikings Twitter is going to be obsessed with all the other guys, if they go six and 10, five and 11, and you've got Kyle Trask. Now I watched a little Zach Wilson the other day and I was like, yeah. man, what, who, what is this? Who's Jim, this guy? Is this Jim McMahon. We got another <laughs> Ty Detmer here coming out of yeah. BYU, but man, he's good. And uh, there's a bunch of other quarterbacks too. So uh, put aside the obvious ones, the Trevor Lawrence, the Justin Fields, who I think the Vikings would take if they were that bad. They won't be that bad. So what about the next uh, crop? Like how strong is it past the two obvious number one and number two picks? Yeah, coming into the year, it looked like there was a pretty cavernous gap. You know, again, these things change so much, so you have no idea, right? But if you'd have put those top three, Lawrence, Lance, and Fields, you know, in in that first-round picture, that top-ten picture – after that, it would have, you would have been hard-pressed to say, oh, yeah, this guy's the next, you know, the QB4 who could slip into the first round or whatever. I think there was some some appreciation for what Trask did after he came in to replace uh, uh, Felipe Franks and, you know, and that he had an upward trajectory, but he wasn't getting anywhere close to first-round grades. Wilson was kind of off the radar because he was a rising junior, had the injury last year, you know, uh, Mac Jones, I don't think from Alabama, anybody really thought if there was a guy that people sort of thought, hey, he wouldn't, it wouldn't be stunning to see him rise that high. It was Kellen Mond at Texas A&M. And I haven't really seen anything to change my mind on him. But Wilson, with his accuracy and his playmaking ability, he's kind of less chaotic uh, Johnny Manziel type and more of the, you know, sort of what we saw out of, Baker Mayfield or somebody like that, you know, coming out of college. So he's the big riser. Trask has obviously played very well. I don't know that I would put anybody else quite in that first-round picture. So those are maybe the two. And, yeah, I get it. Like, K.J. Costello had the huge game against LSU, not so great last week. 
I'm still pumping the brakes on Costello. There, there's a lot to like, but there's also a lot to question about him. The Wilson thing, uh, accuracy just always pops for me. Sure. Like because yep. we've seen we've seen all sorts of different looks, sizes, shapes, even levels of athleticism, but accuracy seems to be one thing that always works in the NFL. And so he's a guy to watch. Uh, I think that you know Vikings fans, some of them were a little sad at what happened with the Texans, and you know yeah. you know now they look like a team that's sort of in the middle of the bad. Uh, in the NFC and in the NFL, as opposed to being the bad of the bad, which is the Jets and the New York Giants. And, you know, I mean, if you're the Texans, if you if you were like really galaxy brain, you'd just be like, hey, Watson, why don't you just opt out like for the rest of the year? <laughs> just play A.J. McCarron and uh, then trade the number. Wait, no, you, you wouldn't have the number one pick. Never mind. They don't have a first they tra- or a second. That's right. That's I right. forgot how bad it really was. Oh, it's Erase bad. that. Yes, never mind. So anyway, yeah, give the Dolphins the first pick. Wow, that is quite the situation. That's if Vikings fans ever feel bad about stuff and want to fire their GM and coach, you're like, mm, look over at the Texans. They don't even remember have a first who we just pick. played. That's right. right. Yeah, that exactly. is always worse somewhere else. Exactly. Uh, Now I think in the NFL with trading, it's just who can spot the fool at the table, um, then you can win trades. So anyway, uh, follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore Edholm, E-D-H-O-L-M. If you already don't, then you're making a mistake. And uh, a great piece on the uh, quarterbacks. Make sure you go find that. It's in your Twitter. So great stuff, man. Great to catch up with you. And uh, I hope we do it again soon. I look forward to it, man. Good luck with the rest of the season. It's going to be interesting. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division championships, futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.